G'day everyone. Turn back uh, to the start of Acts chapter 15 and I'll lead us in prayer. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've spoken to us so wonderfully and so clearly by your Son and in your scriptures. Uh, and we pray though that we would listen to your word with the right response, uh, that we would have ears that are ready to hear and hearts that are soft enough to receive it in faith and repentance. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. When I first started work after uni, my first full-time job, uh, so I'd had a lot of part-time jobs before that, but my first full-time job, I was working in the uh, heady world of corporate taxation, as exciting as it sounds, and uh, very early on, I was asked to write my first advice for a client, and uh, it was a big responsibility, so I went away and I spent hours on it, I, I researched everything about the topic, uh, and I wrote this paper. Uh, two pages long, and I thought, this is really, really good work. They must be so thankful that they've employed me. You know, it's like this is excellent. So I put in my boss's in-tray outside her office and thought, well, that's a job well done. I'll find something else to do. Uh, an hour later, my boss walked past and just dropped something on my desk as she kept walking, uh, and it was my two-page letter, and it was totally covered in red pen. And there was not one word left that I had written. It was like at the start, in the first paragraph, she crossed out in bits and started writing, and then it was just one line down the, and all rewritten. I think she might have left, dear so-and-so and yours sincerely, and I, but I'm not certain. I think the rest was gone. It's, it's demoralising, isn't it? When you, when you work hard at something and people say, no, 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 you've missed the mark, you, you're wrong. Uh, I'd wasted maybe five hours on that, I think. But I imagine it's the same in all jobs. If you're a carpenter, I imagine, you know, and you spend hours making the cupboards and then you work out they don't actually fit in the hole they're designed to fit in, you know, or, or the, the person comes and says, nah, not what I want to do it all again. It's demoralising. But imagine if it was your life's work. Imagine if it was what you had devoted your, your entire self to. You'd poured yourself out for years and someone comes and says, you've been wasting your time. How would you feel? That is something of the scene we come to at the start of Acts chapter 15. So if you remember, over the last couple of weeks, I wasn't with you last week, I was up at Bexley North, but Troy was here. But for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at uh, Acts chapter 13 and chapter 14, and Paul and Barnabas have been travelling the world, at least their world uh, of that time. They've been travelling around preaching the gospel, and the heart of the message they've preached, we've come to call justification by faith. That is, they have been saying, anyone can come and become a part of God's people. Anyone can have their sins forgiven and be a part of God's family because Jesus has died for you. And all you have to do is repent, turn away from your old way of life and trust in Jesus. Faith alone, faith in Jesus and you'll be saved. And their work had not been easy. It wasn't like they'd been swanning around having a holiday. Uh, they'd been run out of most of the towns they preached in. They actually got stoned to death in one town. The only reason they survived is the people thought they were dead and left them there. And then, but actually they were revived and, and, and came back. They had given everything to preach the gospel. And more than that, it had been wonderfully successful. People had been saved, Gentiles in every town saying, yes, we want to trust in Jesus. And more than that, people en masse becoming Christians and churches just sort of springing up overnight. It was wonderful. So here they are. They're back home in Antioch, 
telling everyone about all these wonderful things God has been doing, and then some people turn up. And these people claim that they are from head office, if you like. They say, you know, we're from James and Peter down in in Jerusalem. And they say, no, 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 you've been getting it all wrong. You've been getting it all wrong. And they actually say, these people you're rejoicing about are not even Christians. They're not saved at all. They say, these Gentiles, they're not real members of the church. Because you are not saved by faith alone, in Christ alone. That's not the truth. Now, you need to do other things if you want to truly be one of God's people. So look with me at how they say Look, look at uh, chapter 15, verse 1. It says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. So saying, faith, not enough. You also need to be circumcised if you want to be saved. And Paul has been getting it wrong. It's great that these Gentiles want to follow Jesus, but they're not Christians yet. If they want to be saved, they need to get circumcised, which is shorthand for they need to become Jews. And they need to say, we are going to follow and accept all the Old Testament law. It's not faith alone in Christ alone that saves you. You need to do more than that. So here's the scene. Here are these men seemingly with the authority of Peter and James from Jerusalem and they, they're, the, they're the big wigs of the church. They're on one side, and you've got Paul and Barnabas. What's going to happen? Well, Paul and Barnabas don't just sit meekly by. They don't just go and rewrite the letter like I did all those years ago. They say, and this is my modern translation, they say, get lost. That's what they say. That's, that's, they say, get lost. It says there in verse 2, they have a serious argument and debate. Now, we need to understand, Paul and Barnabas are not upset because they might have wasted years of their life. They're not worried that that, that they're going to be sued for false advertising or something like that. No, no, they are upset because they know that if people listen to what these people are saying, it's not just wrong, it will lead people to hell. That's why they're so upset. If people listen, it will stop people being saved. So we saw back in Acts chapter 14, do you remember when Paul preached in in the Jewish synagogue, he said to the Jews, the law of Moses cannot save you. He he said, you can't keep God's law. You you can't be good enough to earn God's salvation. A few years later, he would write the letter to the Romans where he said, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who seeks God. So now if we are saved by works, even in part, heaven will be empty and hell will be full. And if people start to believe this, it will mean that they will stop trusting in Christ alone, which is what they need to do to be saved. You've got to understand, this was the biggest crisis that the church had faced up to this point. This was a bigger crisis than when they started being stoned to death and when the the Apostle James had a sword run through him. This was bigger than that because if they get the gospel wrong, and imagine if Peter has got the gospel wrong, then that's everything. So it's so big, the church in Antioch say, we've got to send Paul, we've got to send Barnabas, we've got to send a whole team of people down there to make sure that Peter and James and the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem haven't got the gospel wrong. Before we get to that meeting in Jerusalem, I just want to stress the most important point we need to take away from this passage. That's my first heading, it'll come on the screen. And that is, for salvation, truth matters. What you believe matters because your salvation depends on it. You need to know the gospel 
You need to know what you believe and then you need to stand up for it and say, I will not accept any other message. Paul actually wrote to the Galatians about this issue. I actually think he wrote the letter to the Galatians on his way down to this meeting in Jerusalem. It's one of the earliest letters in the New Testament. And in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, Paul says, we'll come on the screen. He says, but even if we, like Paul or Barnabas, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel other than what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. That's incredibly strong, isn't it? He's saying, if someone comes and teaches you a different message to what you have come to believe, a curse be on him. You wouldn't think he could be that strong. Then he gets stronger. In Galatians chapter 5, he says that he wishes these men that, that are saying, you need to get circumcised if you want to be a Christian. He says, I wish they would go and castrate themselves. That's, that's how strong his language was. He says, that's how serious this is. I wish they would actually just do that to themselves. That's how angry he was about this because the truth of the gospel matters our eternal destiny depends on it heaven and hell depends on it we believe you know how we say the creed we say we believe it's because it's about faith we believe that Jesus is the Lord the son of God we believe that Jesus died for our sins we believe that he rose from the grave and defeated death. We believe that our salvation is a free gift from God received by faith alone. Knowing and holding to that truth, knowing and holding to that gospel matters more than anything. And so I want to say to you, even if I got up here and tried to tell you a different gospel, or for that matter, tried to add to the gospel, then tell me to get lost too. That's how important it is. The truth of the gospel matters more than anything. Back to the story. Come with me from verse 3. And I've called it vindication in Jerusalem. They set off for Jerusalem for this big church summit uh, to argue the case. On the way there, there's actually a lovely little moment to pause at. It's in verse 3. It says, as they went through Phoenicia and Samaria, the Christians there, who would have all been Jews and Samaritans, not Gentiles, it says that they were overjoyed about hearing about the Gentiles coming to faith. It's a beautiful moment because I actually think that is the sign or one of the signs that people truly are Christians themselves, that we just love to hear of other people coming to faith because nothing is more joyful for someone who truly knows Jesus than, than hearing that other people have come to know the Saviour we have come to know. Isn't that right? That, that's the most joyful thing in the world. But on the other hand, a lack of joy in gospel growth is a really worrying sign. If someone doesn't rejoice with us when people are saved, I wonder, do they truly know Jesus? I remember when I first became a Christian, years and years ago, and when I first went on a parish council, because I was a young guy studying law, and they said, well, you can go on the parish council, you know. And so they put me on the parish council, and there was an old man on the parish council, and I shared with him at the parish council how the youth group was growing and, and there were numbers of young people becoming Christians. And he said, well, as long as they don't move the furniture. And he got to that point, he got to, are you saved? I'm serious. Are, are you, if, your, if your immediate reaction is not to go praise God and, and let's do whatever we've got to do to help that happen, there's something wrong. And sadly, Paul and Barnabas found that as well. Some of the people weren't rejoicing. They were still bringing up this same thing. But are they circumcised? So they get to Jerusalem you can imagine what the tension would have been. Have you ever had to go to a meeting like that 
Were you worried? How's this going to turn out? That's how Paul would have been thinking. Have Peter and James, the great ones I look up to, have they lost the gospel? And so the apostles and the elders assemble. People make their arguments. Paul and Barnabas would have spoken. These other people would have spoken. Uh, But then Peter stands up. And you can imagine the room at that point just goes quiet. This is Peter. This is the man, the rock on whom I will build my church, Jesus said. This is the the leader of the apostles. Imagine everyone is holding their breath. But from the moment he starts, Peter vindicates Paul and he vindicates Barnabas. More importantly, he confirms that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not by works. Now, Peter's speech is just gold. Let's look at it. Look from verse 7. It says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brothers, you're aware that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. It's a great start, this this talk. Peter says, haven't we already dealt with this? He's like, haven't we, haven't we already dealt with this? He's saying, don't you remember? See, for us, it was last year, but for them, it was only a little while ago, and it's only a few chapters earlier in Acts. Uh, he says, don't you remember when I shared the gospel with Cornelius and I came and told you how God said, actually, all foods are clean? Don't you remember? God's already dealt with this problem for us. Don't you remember how we've seen Gentiles receiving the Holy Spirit just like we have? We have seen how God is at work in them just like he was in us. And then he brings it together at verse 10. And I think this is actually Peter's greatest moment in the Bible, which is a big call, given he's the guy who said to Jesus, you are the Messiah, you are the Christ. I think this is his greatest moment. Verse 10, he says, Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Such a powerful line. I hope you see what he's saying. He's saying, we Jews haven't been able to keep the law of Moses. We Jews haven't been able to do this. We we know you can't be made right with God by keeping the law. We know that what the law does is show us how sinful we are so we know we need God's forgiveness. So how dare you then ask other people to do what you haven't been able to do and what God doesn't want them to do? And then he says, I think, one of the clearest statements about salvation in the whole Bible. Verse 11, he says, On the contrary, We believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. And you can imagine those troublemakers choking at that point. Because if you look closely, what Peter is actually saying is not only are Gentiles saved by faith alone, not only do Gentiles not have to keep the Old Testament law, we Jews are saved by faith alone and not even we have to keep the Old Testament law. Because the only way for anyone to be saved is by faith in the Lord Jesus. And so everyone falls silent, and now they listen to Paul and Barnabas share the great stories of people becoming Christians, how wonderful it is. But there was still a problem. Still one person whose opinion mattered a whole heap hadn't spoken, and that was James. Now, James was not the apostle, one of the 12 disciples, James. He'd already died by this point. This is Jesus' brother as in another son of Mary and Joseph. He must have been a younger brother, if you think about it. Uh, And by the way, that puts paid to the silly ideas of Mary as a perpetual virgin and all those, that sort of nonsense. Uh, Jesus had brothers and sisters from Mary and Joseph. But uh, he, he hadn't been a disciple of Jesus when Jesus was alive. 
I imagine he was one of the brothers, if you remember in Mark's gospel, who comes with, with Mary and says, Jesus, people think you're a lunatic, come home. But after Jesus' death and resurrection, James had become a Christian and very quickly had grown to be the leader of the church in Jerusalem and looked upon as, as one of the apostles. And he led the church alongside Peter and John. So the fight wasn't over yet. If James doesn't agree, we're in trouble. And so now, last of all, he speaks up. And again, you can imagine the pause. But straight away, James agrees with Peter. Now, you can read his speech from uh, verse 13. But he adds the point uh, that actually, we shouldn't be surprised about this. God had told us this was what was going to happen in the Old Testament. So the big point he adds is that the Old Testament prophets, prophets like Amos and prophets like Isaiah, had talked about how God would make a new people where Jew and Gentile together would worship God. So James is saying, this isn't some newfangled idea. This has been God's plan from the beginning. Get on board with God's plan. That's James's speech. And that was the end of the argument. And I want to tell you, that is the greatest truth. And this is one of the most important days in our history. Whether you are a Jew or a Gentile, whether you're from African or Asian or European or Indigenous Australian or South American or, or Pacific Islander or where, wherever you are from, this was them saying, you are an equal member of God's people. God offers you a place. God offers you forgiveness and a place in his family and you don't earn it. You can't. We're all sinners. We fall short of God's standard, but God says, accept my free gift of salvation through faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. That is the message I hope you have come to know and believe. And I want to say to you, that is the message to hold on to no matter what. Praise God for it because without it, we'll be facing the judgment of God. And if even if I or anyone else stands up here and preaches you a different message, walk out. Walk out. Because that is the message of salvation. That's the most important thing we're going to learn today. But James kept talking, so we've got to keep listening. He says, that's all absolutely true, but I just want to ask something from you Gentile Christians. And so if we summarise the first point by saying, with regard to salvation, truth matters more than anything, James says, amen to that. But now he says, with regard to your church family, love matters too. So come with me. I've called it for fellowship love matters. Come to verse 19. So James says, therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. That's him saying, I'm with you. Faith alone. But, verse 20, but instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. Now, that is a strange list of things to ask, isn't it? Seems a very mixed up list. We wouldn't say, here's, the, here's our top four. We're going to ask you to... Sexual immorality, yes. God's morality has not changed between the Old and the New Testaments. Sex is for one man and one woman to share in a marriage relationship. And so that is a sin. And so, of course, he's saying abstain from sin. If someone doesn't care and just continues on in their, in their lifestyle without repenting and seeking to change... Well, that, that's something Jesus died for. That's important. But the other things, they're all straight out of the Old Testament ceremonial laws. 
that James just agreed we're not bound by. So why still ask Gentiles to not do those things? Well, it's about love for other people. That's what's driving it. It's because you want other people to hear the gospel. And you don't want there to be a stumbling block that means their ears are blocked and they stop listening and they write you off. And then when people become Christians, you want to help them join in in the people of God. And you don't want to put a stumbling block in front of them that will make it hard for them to come and to hear the good news and to hear the Bible. You see, James wants the Gentile Christians to see that it was actually really, really hard for Jewish people to accept that many of the laws they had followed so religiously no longer applied. You see, for Jews who'd become a Christian, it was so hard when they came to church and, and the person next to them sat down and ate a blood sausage which was forbidden under their, I don't know that they would have been, they weren't Scottish, but you know what I mean. It, it, it ate something that, that they for years had, had thought was forbidden by God. Uh, and, and especially for Jews who are not yet Christians, they were thinking, hang on, is it, they're claiming Jesus is our Messiah and yet it seems all the Christians just do whatever they want. Is this Christianity just an excuse to be ungodly? And for all Jews, it was especially hard because all these practices, the ones listed out there in verse 20, they were all tied to pagan religions. I actually think that's why sexual immorality is included, even though it's also actually a sin. Uh, it, it was such a part of pagan religion. You've got to understand this. We, we sort of think of all religions being equal. We don't realise that Christianity is totally different to all the other religions that have ever been. Uh, the pagan religions were, were just awful riots basically where people did all sorts of things that we would consider sin uh, and it was such a part of pagan religion to just engage in sexual immorality that was part of how they worshipped their gods that if a Christian persisted in that not only was that a sin for them not only was that something they had to repent of but actually it made everyone all the other Jews turn away from listening to the gospel and so the big point James is saying is look there are enormous freedoms for us as Christians. But at this point, it would just be really loving if you Gentile Christians were willing to limit your freedoms to help our Jewish friends hear the gospel. See, and to help Jewish Christians keep growing as Christians. So yes, you're free to do those things. You're free to eat the rarest steak there's ever, I love my steak, rare. You know, you're free to do that, he says. But at the moment, if you do them, just understand that'll be a stumbling block to our people. And so this is such an important principle. Paul later expands on it. You can go read it at home. He expands on it in Romans 14 uh, and in 1 Corinthians 8. But the principle is, for the Christian, just because you are free to do something doesn't mean you should do it. As Christians, we should love the people around us and so be willing to limit our freedoms so that there are no stumbling blocks to other people hearing about Jesus, finding salvation and growing as a disciple of Jesus. Now, this can be a really tricky thing to work out because it takes wisdom and it depends on the situation, depends on the, the church you're a part of. In some places Paul went, he didn't follow the request of James because he said, not important here. This isn't a problem in these places. At other times he did because it depends on the people. It depends on the situation. There's a great example in the last part of our reading. Just go to chapter 16, verses 1 to 5 at the end. Paul meets this great young guy, Timothy, who was a Jewish man because his mum was a Jew, but his dad wasn't a Jew, and that meant he'd never been circumcised. And Paul is so impressed by this guy, he wants him to come with him 
to share the gospel in all these places where there are Jewish people. Now in other places, Paul makes a point of saying, I won't circumcise anyone because you guys are saying you need to be circumcised. You say, so I'm not circumcising anyone. Here, he circumcises Timothy. Now, is Paul a hypocrite who just flips and flops? No, he does whatever is best for people hearing the gospel. And so because Timothy is a Jew and they're going to preach the gospel to Jews, he knows this will be a stumbling block. No one will listen to Timothy, so let's get him circumcised. And then their ears will be open to hearing. It takes wisdom. It depends on the situation. But the principle is, this is what I want you to now take away from this part. The principle is the Christian will give up their freedoms and give up their preferences for the good of other people. Not godliness. Not where the Bible has spoken clearly and where it is a matter of right or wrong, sin or or not sin. I've seen some Christians use this to justify drunkenness or drinking too much. Because they say, oh, well, I need to fit in and be a witness in, in my workplace. That, that is rubbish. They, and they say, oh, Jesus ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. Yes, he ate with the tax collectors and the sinners. He didn't get drunk with the tax collectors and the sinners. This is actually about being more conservative, giving up freedoms, being more conservative for the sake of other people. So I'll give you an example. Uh, if you are inviting a Jewish person to church or to the life course, in fact, Victoria and I have done that, invited a Jewish person to the life course. It'd be a really loving thing to do to let the organiser of morning tea that day or, or of the, the supper that night at the life course know there's a Jewish person coming. Can we make sure there's food that's appropriate for them? It's just love. That's all it is. It's just saying, I don't want anything getting in the way of that person hearing about Jesus. If you were going to be a witness in a Muslim community, Let's just say you were going to be a part of, of something at Lakemba to, uh, to share the gospel around Ramadan time. Or when I was on CMS Summer School, lots of people are going to the Middle East to share Jesus. Often they, their identity is kept quiet and we don't even know where they're going because it's not safe. But they're going to the Middle East to share Jesus. Now, of course, you're free to wear shorts. Of course, if you're a woman, you're, you're free to walk around with, with your head uncovered. But if you want those people to listen to you, what will you do? You'll put a headscarf on and you'll wear, you'll wear long clothes. You, now, you might say, but I'm free to not. And I, I, what, haven't you heard about feminism, Phil? And, and who cares? You want them to hear about Jesus. So you limit your freedoms to help them hear about Jesus. In the church, a common example is alcohol. I think Christians are free to drink alcohol in moderation. Not drunkenness, but some Christians struggle with that. Some Christians say, no, 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 Christians should not drink alcohol. So I have a general rule at church events, we don't have alcohol. Why? What does it matter that you don't get a glass of wine? Why cause an issue if it's a stumbling block for someone else? But far more important than any of these examples I give is the principle. The principle is that it should be more important to you that people hear the gospel. It should be more important to you that other people here at church are able to grow as disciples of Jesus than than you get to do what you want. Christians say, I don't care what I want. I don't care about my preferences, not matters of where the Bible speaks clearly. But on other things, Christians say, I don't care. I'll give it up. This is why the Christian doesn't just ask, is it a sin? 
And then if it is, can't do it. If it isn't, I can do it. Now, the Christian asks that question, but then they also say, is it helpful? Is it helpful for other people? Is it helpful for me? Yes, but even more, is it helpful for other people in their growth? We need to be what Martin Luther said about the Apostle Paul. He said he was strong and unbendable in faith, but he was soft in love. That's what the Christian should be. We should be absolutely immovable on what the Bible says. But where there are matters of indifference, where there are matters where we can disagree, we need to be soft and bendable and put other people above ourselves for the sake of the gospel. For salvation, truth matters more than anything. But for fellowship, love matters too. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful news of the gospel that we are saved by grace. That is a free gift that we receive through faith alone. But Father, now as saved people, as members of your family, we pray that we would live in love towards others and we would not stand on our rights and demand our freedoms, but instead we pray that we would be willing to give up anything so that other people might hear the gospel and be saved and so that other people might be able to grow as disciples of Jesus. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.